heroin and crystal meth control Crystal Champ's life. <laughs> it is um, everything. The strangling grip of addiction has left her homeless on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico. For Crystal, the thought of a guardian angel walking into her life was unimaginable. But that's what happened when Albuquerque police officer Ryan Holitz found Crystal and her companion Tom Hello, folks. shooting up heroin behind a convenience store in September. Are you pregnant? Yeah, it, it's not every day that I see a sight like that. And it just, and it just made me really sad. His words brought Crystal to tears. How dare you judge me? You have no idea how hard this is. You have no idea. And I know what a horrible person I am, and I know what a horrible situation I'm in. In that instant, the moment changed. His entire being changed. He just became a human being instead of a police officer. A crazy, overwhelming idea crept into Ryan's mind. Realizing that she was desperately wanting someone to adopt a baby, I just felt God telling me, tell her that you will do it because you can. <laughs> you can. And so... Three weeks later, Crystal Champ gave birth, and Ryan Holitz and his wife agreed to adopt the baby they named Hope. I've gotten tired of, of uh, seeing so many situations where I want to help but can't, and in that moment, I realized that I had a chance to help. Hope suffered through withdrawals during weeks of medical treatment, but she's gaining weight now and doing well. Her father and me love her, you know, very, very much. And we did not give her up because we didn't want her. But Crystal remains an addict and admits she's in no place to care for a baby. I just want her to be safe and secure and, you know, be in a, a family and be loved and have a chance, you know. I am so thankful and blessed and humbled that we are allowed to have hope in our family. We'll be there for her, and whatever struggles that she has, we'll be there, and we'll work through it. And that's what makes me happy, that we'll be there for her. You know, I tried to watch that thing like 50 times so that I wouldn't break down, like right when I came up here tonight, but man, what a story of how God can work in a family, right? And you can tell it's not going to be easy. It's not easy for anyone involved. It's, it's pretty complicated. Now, I have to tell you, I really appreciate the fact that this church family has stories just like this one. It is so neat to hear and to see families who have said, you know what, we're going to do that. We're going to foster, we're going to adopt, we're, we're going to be called to what God has, has called us to. And you know, all of those stories are very different. Each story, though, is filled with hope and joy, as well as heartache and struggles. But before we get into that, I, I just want to say I love the fact that we are in this series during the Christmas season, because really that is the Christmas story. Families are complicated. You know, we often think about the glory and the wonder of the birth of Jesus. 
because God has given us this incredible view of what he was up to. But we were there when the, when the angels came to Mary. We, we were there when, when uh, Joseph had his dreams. We were in the fields with the shepherds when they heard the good news that the Messiah was born. And there he was, the Savior we were waiting for, wrapped up in a little bundle and held close. You know, we, we know the details so well that we often forget what that must have been like. Because their neighbors didn't know the full story. Their parents didn't know the full story. I mean, can you imagine family dinner with a, a teenage Mary and Joseph coming and saying, uh, uh, there's something we need to tell you, right? Can you imagine the response that must have been directed at Joseph? Where's the shotgun, right? The raised eyebrows in their neighborhood as Mary began to show. Can you imagine the stares that they got as they went to church? Because Mary and Joseph had the audacity to blame this child on God. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's complicated. And, and even in Jesus' family. Listen, even in the miraculous, even in the God-ordained, it's complicated. And I think that may be most evident in, in foster and adoptive families. Even in the middle of doing what is good and right, there are challenges unique to those situations that some of us have never even thought about. And you'll hear about some of those today, but, but mainly for those who have families through adoption or for those who minister through foster care, God's word shares a path filled with hope even when it is also filled with challenges. That's a message that many of us need to hear. And so I think about, what did they do? How did, how did Mary and Joseph make it? How would they encourage us that in the middle of challenges and difficulty, God would come through no matter what they saw around them? You know, I don't know for sure, but I think maybe they just might have pointed to one of their prophets. Maybe this is something that they repeated over and over to themselves. Maybe they memorized this scripture that we're going to look at today. Maybe they had this saying painted as artwork on their wall. I don't know. But it is an incredible reminder of the path that God has laid out before us. And it's found in Micah chapter 6. So if you want to turn there to Micah chapter 6, the verses are also going to be on the screen, so if for some reason you can't find Micah, it's kind of a tough book to find. It's in the Old Testament, kind of towards the end of the Old Testament, but you also have a table of contents in your Bible. Hey, take some time, find it. Uh, we're looking in Micah chapter 6. And, and you know that the job of a prophet was complicated too. You know, many times he had to deliver a message that was not what the people wanted to hear. And this prophet was speaking to an Israel that, that was really in a spiral. They claimed to have this relationship with God, but really, the way they lived their lives was much different. And their sin was catching up with them. In fact, God's justice, his judgment was on the way. And so God spoke to them through these prophets to turn from their sin. And some of the response that Micah encountered is, is in some of the, these verses in chapter 6. It's really kind of, it's really kind of fun to read. Okay, the, the, the people in Israel uh, in this chapter were throwing out this excuse. God is just too complicated. 
What does he expect from us? What in the world is he looking for? He, and, and they say, what, what, what can we give him enough that, that he would be satisfied? What do you want from us? If we gave you a valuable calf, one that we had been investing and feeding all year long, would that be enough for you, God? They said, if we gave, if, if I gave, my family gave a thousand rams, would that be enough? Have you ever met one of those people that like really exaggerates, right? Like they don't intend to do anything about it, but they just want to make it look ridiculous, right? A thousand rams. And it gets, it gets worse. They said, if we gave 10,000 rivers of oil, I don't even know how you get one river of oil. I don't know how that works, right? But they were exaggerating. And, and then uh, the most extreme exaggeration, that he said would, uh, he wouldn't even be satisfied with, like, I don't know, my firstborn son. It's kind of crazy as we look back that that is the thing of value that God gave to us. Extraordinary. Extravagant. Wow. But their idea was, God, you are asking too much from us. And Micah's reply is in verse 8. And this is really where we're looking tonight in verse 8. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? I love that phrase. Micah says, look, this is nothing new. It's not like God was hiding something from you and now all of a sudden he's throwing something on you. He says, he's told you what what this should be. And, And what I love about the heart of God, and you'll find this true in your life as well, is that even when we say that, he still just tells them again. He is so patient with us. And not, you should have been listening to me the first time. He says, no, here it is, one more time. Second part of that verse says, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Wait, wait, that's it? Let's go over this again. I was going to offer you a thousand rams, God, and, and all you want is for me to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? That's it? And here is this path forward, this plan that God has given us in his word for those who have put their trust in God. This is how he wants us to respond to what he's done in our lives. First, to do justice. Sounds like a no-brainer, right? But to be honest, it's a little more difficult than it sounds because here's the challenge. This world, because of sin, is filled with injustices. We are surrounded by them. And the problem that we have with with this idea of justice is that we will often say there's just too much of it. And so we freeze up, right? We say, I I can't even begin to to impact that kind of injustice. And so, you know, I, I don't even know what to do. But then there's also the problem that we have because we have injustice in us. So we kind of ignore some injustices. Sometimes we're dismissive of these injustices because it means that something in us needs to change. And we're powerless to do it. We don't have the answer. Sometimes we're even defending it. 
We don't want to admit we're sinners. We don't want to admit that we're contributing to injustice in the world. We think it's them. (laughs) And we're often blinded to our own need. Maybe we think, well, I'm not perfect, so, so how can God use me with all that I've done? You know, we often think of, of justice as kind of the top five social issues that are in our culture that we're really wrestling with at any given time. But really, the heart of justice is simply love God and love others. How can you actually make a difference in the lives of people who are being treated poorly, who are receiving that injustice. And I want you to think about that. Think about that locally. Think about that personally. Think about that actually. What does that mean? How can I actively be involved in drawing people closer to loving God? And I love that those who see injustice stand up. Not to be heard, not to make a big deal out of it, but to make a difference. And what happens is when someone does that, whether they're a believer or not, it's part of the image of God coming through their lives. And you know, God sets this example in his own actions. Uh, a contemporary of, of Micah, uh, another prophet, Isaiah, he, this is what he said. He says, yet the Lord, listen to this word, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for them. I love that. This idea that God got up off of his throne to show you compassion. That's how much he cares. That's how much it just burns in him that he wants to pour out compassion on you and me. And then later on, in chapter 59 of the book of Isaiah, another incredible picture in his word about how he deals with injustice. In fact, it's, it's perfect because the chapter begins with the source of injustice, our own sin. And, and you've got to read this chapter later, uh, chapter 59. But, but in verse 15 and 16, this is what it says. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. Man, can't you feel that? I'm looking around and no one's standing up, right? I see all this injustice happening and it's, mm, it's bugging me. He saw that there was no man and, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. He was astonished, really? That's sad, isn't it? And if that was the end of it, man, that'd really be kind of... Mm. But I love what God does. It says, Then his own arm brought salvation to him. He was the only one who could make it right. And he did. And his righteousness upheld him. He brought salvation. He brought justice to our lives when we couldn't. He did that through Jesus. And if you've ever heard about a God that was, that was difficult to get along with, that, that you could never measure up, that, that he was always ready to punish you, I hope that that picture just washes all of that away because our God is one who stands up and says, I will do it. I will take responsibility. 
He stood up for you. He brought salvation to you. And that's his heart. And that's, that's his call to us as a result of, of uh, uh, that in our own lives. It's his desire for us to be that in the lives of others. If, if this same heart of injustice comes through in our humanity simply just because we have the fingerprints of God on our lives, it should no doubt come through our faith, our Christianity, in an even more profound way. And the book of James talks all about this. It's filled with this idea that, that your faith, your salvation, will produce tangible results in your life and in the life of those around you. Your faith will do that. Your faith will result in something tangible. Now, as a side note, that's different than, than saying that the good, tangible things we do produce our salvation. That's false. And, and, and some, even people who claim to be Christians, some feel that way. And that's not God and his word. The book of James says in, in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But prove, but show yourselves to be doers of the word. Isn't that what Micah said? He said, do justly. Do justice. There's kind of an, an implied action in that. Do something about it. He says, but, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves fooling themselves. You're just fooling yourself. And guess what? You know, the world sees when there's no action behind what we say is our faith. They see it, and they wonder. Even when we, as believers, even when we don't see it. And I love that if you are involved in foster care or, or adoption, you have seen the vulnerable. You have seen the injustice. And you stood up. That's what our faith, that's what our religion is all about. Later on in chapter 1 of James, verse 27, it says, pure and undefiled religion. He says, this is what it's all about. In the sight of God and of our God and Father is this. Visit the orphans and widows in their distress. There's something about those who are vulnerable that you can come in and enter into that situation just like he did for us. And to keep oneself unstained by the world, it says. And I know that if you've adopted, you would agree with, with this statement by, by a guy who has also adopted in his family. And he says this. He says, it's important to realize that we adopt not because we are rescuers. No, we adopt because we are the rescued. And you know some of the complications that it brings. And, and, and there is much more that you're going to find out along the way. You, you could have had a relatively normal life, right? It, but now your life is filled with social workers and appointments and financial decisions and visitations and court dates and, and belly mommies and belly daddies. Those are biological parents, by the way. That's what we call them. <laughs> You know, sometimes these kids are in the news. Sometimes they're in the hospital. Sometimes they have great medical needs. But all the time, they carry with them a tremendous burden that lasts a lifetime. A burden that they don't always understand or, or know how to process. 
trauma from inside or outside of the womb. Or, or maybe they were in an orphanage situation that, that where there wasn't enough food. Or there wasn't enough hands to hold them or care for their needs. Maybe they have spent years with uncertainty, with neglect or abuse. Maybe they're dealing with the effects of, of addiction, of drugs and alcohol. Why? Why do this? If it causes sub, such complications, I don't need any more complications, right? My life is complicated enough, right? Well, you can do it. First, because that's what Christ did for you. And second, because if you don't, who will? Really, who will? And I'm so thankful that, that you didn't leave it up to someone else to step into their situation. Because they aren't complications. They're children who desperately need to be loved, guided, and nurtured. And if you've jumped into this world, have confidence it's hard to remember that in the middle of your challenge, that, that God led you there, that, that you acted out of God's heart, that, that you're doing something about the injustice that you see, that his word calls us to do justly, and you are doing that. So have confidence. And you probably know this already, but not everyone is called to foster or adopt. And that's not meant to be an easy out for you, okay? But it is true. So quickly, I want to share some ways that you can wrap your arms around foster and adoptive families. And if you're looking at your notes, yeah, I have to tell you, I'm not smart enough to come up with rap, okay? I, I don't even, I don't rap. So, uh, but, but I want to share with you a couple of these. Uh, wrestle in prayer. A primary way that you can support these families, if you are not a foster or adoptive family, is, is to pray for them. I mean, anytime you, you step up to serve the Lord and others in a big way, there is an intense spiritual warfare. And these families need others who will be committed to pray for them. The R is respite care. Honestly, this is huge. Foster and adoptive parents are notoriously poor at self-care. And what I mean is that they're so often looking out for the needs of the ones that they're caring for that they barely have the time and energy to breathe. So this could be watching kids for a couple hours, or, or better yet, a couple days. And it, but in order for that to work, you have to be invested in their family. You have to know them and how they do life. Acts of service is another one. You know, whether it's, it's meals, especially when a child first comes into care. Or, you know, families have baby showers. Maybe you can do that sort of thing for a family who is fostering. Laundry, yard work, cleaning. And you might say, man, I wish somebody would do that for me, right? Exactly. You do that. That's the kind of thing that can help them focus on the complicated needs of their family. Maybe it's financial assistance. You know, this is big, especially for those families who don't adopt through foster care. Whether it's international or domestic adoptions, there are so, so many expenses that go along with that. And you might say, you know, I, I don't have much. But you could be an organizer to help meet those needs. Hey, and, and, and another act of service is to celebrate adoptions. Provide a starting point, a memory for that child that will remind them that they're not alone. That they have a bunch of people who will support them no matter what. 
And just as a note, this is really cool, is that uh, one of our growth groups is actually working with a couple amazing foster parents that are helping provide Christmas for, for foster kids all across our area. And I just want to say, well done. That's what I'm talking about. Those acts of service, those coming alongside of those families, mm, that is good stuff. A final way to wrap around an adoptive family is through the promises of God. You know, God's word is such a source of encouragement. Sometimes we forget in the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of all the challenges, we forget those promises. And we need to be reminded. Promises like in Psalm 147, verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Wow. It's his work, isn't it? He's promised it. And a word like that at just the right time makes a huge difference. Write a verse of encouragement in a card or an email, and that combined with with a listening ear, with understanding hearts, man, that kindness and mercy will deeply resonate with a family who is in that situation. But it's so powerful, isn't it? To see someone act on behalf of others, to, to do something when they see the need of the vulnerable. But God's path doesn't end there. Because Micah 6, 8, it says, What does God want from you? But to do justice, to love kindness. To love mercy is another way to say that. And again, that may seem pretty self-evident, right? But I'm pretty sure that's how God intended it, right? Keep it simple. This is what God has for us. And even though it's easy to recognize as as important to our lives and our walk with him, it's not easy to live out. In fact, it's impossible to do on our own. But God has has really instilled this again in the core of our being. In Luke chapter 10, verse 33, the surrounding verses talk about the story of the Good Samaritan that came across a man who was robbed and beaten and left for dead. And you know what? He didn't necessarily stop because of justice, although that that played a part in that. He stopped because the the verse says that he took pity on him. His heart went out to him. There was something in his heart that wept. Something in his heart melted. When it wasn't convenient, when it wasn't easy, all of that was overwhelmed because of kindness. It was washed away. Both justice and kindness are absolutely necessary for the families involved in adoption or ministering through foster care. And there's something special about this phrase in Micah, though. This is so great, right? God isn't just telling us that we need to be kind and to show mercy to one another. He wants us to love doing that. Love kindness. Enjoy it. Let it be a part of your nature, not not a force, I I know I should and so I will. Now, if that's where you need to start, just being kind, do it, right? But God's heart for you is that you would love being merciful. That you would look for ways and opportunities to show his great mercy. So, so in the conversation that we're having today, how do you love kindness with your child? The first and primary way that I would encourage you, if you are a foster or adoptive family, is to understand where your child came from. 
You know, there's tons and tons of research that talk about the challenges that kids from hard places have to deal with. And there's tons of diagnoses like radical attachment disorder and and post-traumatic stress disorder and sensory processing disorder and fetal alcohol syndrome disorder and, and all this research about how the brain develops differently in these situations and how their brain has been affected by these situations. And these are things that that we as adults, we struggle to process, right? Like, what does that mean? What, is that true? Is that... And, and if you say or if you're thinking, man, that, that, all that psychological mumbo-jumbo, you know, live through it with these children, and I guarantee you will have a different perspective. But I want to simplify it for you. Okay? Listen to this. This is from some great material called Created to Connect. And this is what it says. It says, thinking in terms of our children, we must recognize that for many children from hard place, fear is their best friend. Due in large part to their past, fear has ruled ruled their lives, their, their minds, their emotions, their behavior for so long that it has become familiar and and even oddly a comforting companion. They're stuck in survival mode. And and therefore they're prone to misinterpret communication, both verbal and nonverbal, as threatening and respond in ways that are unacceptable. In place of this old friend fear, we need to introduce our children and ourselves to a new best friend. Trust. You know, God instructs his people not to be afraid. There's a pattern that often follows, and you'll see it even as we think about the Christmas story. You'll hear this phrase. We see God say, fear not, I am here. Fear not, I am with you. Don't be afraid, I will help. Do you see what he's doing? He's addressing the fear and moving us to trust. It says, uh, it's, it's in this repeated invitation to exchange our fear for trust that we find the foundation for what our children and we ourselves need in order to escape the grip of fear. So understand where your child came from. Here's a couple more ways, just practically. Maintain consistency and predictability in your home. And certainly that's good for parents across the board, right? Kids need to know that there is a a consistency when it comes to expectations for them. But also setting them up for success by letting them know what's coming. Just transitions from one activity or one thing to another can be very challenging sometimes. And one simple thing uh, is, is just to say, listen, in five minutes, we're going to do this. It sets them up, it prepares them for what's coming next. Another way is is to balance nurture and structure. You know, nurture is that affection, that compassion and mercy. And that structure is those rules or or those limits or those boundaries. And and if we tend toward the structural side of things, you know, as, as our reaction to dealing with those challenges, we need to be challenged towards that nurture. And the same with nurture. If your tendency is to, to go towards the nurture instead of providing some of that structure, you need to be balanced in that. One thing that was, was kind of neat, uh, just in preparing, is, is that I read that 
if you need to up the structure, you also need to up the nurture in that transition time. Make sure that it's balanced. Another way that we can just show and love kindness to our kids is to celebrate victories. Affirm good choices constantly. Find reasons to celebrate. Find songs that you can sing together. Dance. You know, instead of marking the failures that they are often faced with, celebrate success. Make it a big deal. Now, a child is one thing, right? But, but how do you love kindness with their families, with their biological families? Again, first, understand where they came from. The Good Samaritan had compassion. Remember that in many ways, the struggles of the biological family, uh, the, the struggles that they face are generational. Those are hard to break whether it's poverty or addiction or neglect, can you have compassion on what they have been facing, on what they have, all that they've ever known? And you might think, why would they ever do blank, right? Many times it's all that they know. No one set the example for them. No one has led them. Really, that leads to valuing them as a person. Many times, moms and dads are feeling pretty defeated. Their child has been removed. They've been told that they can't parent appropriately. They've been overlooked. They've been ignored. And, and just because they aren't making the best choices, or maybe they're not making any good choices, doesn't mean that they don't deserve your respect as you speak with them, as you work with them. See them. Talk with them instead of lecturing at them, right? That goes a long way. And really, that builds a relationship. That's another way that you can uh, love kindness with these families, is build a relationship. And sometimes that is not possible. There are, are things that are out of your control, but as much as you can do, build that relationship with them. You never know the impact that you can have on their family as a whole or really that they can have on yours. In foster care, it's your job to help them gain the skills that they need. That's your responsibility. Of course, there's, you know, you want to make sure to develop those healthy boundaries and roles and all that. But, but we often use this excuse. You've probably heard it before. Love the sinner, hate the sin right? I have to tell you, that is the most overused and underperformed statements. Because it's often an excuse to ignore the sinner and hate the sin. To not have any relationship with that person. But God calls us to love them as he does. (laughs) Build that relationship. And then celebrate the good. There's always a way that you can encourage the positive direction or decision that they're making. Even if it's in small things. Even if it's in tiny things. Say, wow, that, that's awesome. Man, what a cool step. That, that was great. It can lead to bigger steps. 
You know, it's easy to be angry, right? When we see injustice, it's hard to be kind. It's easy to be self-serving. It's easy to hold grudges. But it's hard to serve others. It's hard to forgive. So do hard things. You know, maybe this is a struggle for you, finding that balance of loving kindness. I want to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 13. You know, often we think of this as the wedding chapter, right? The chapter about love. But really, it's a going through life chapter. It's a what kindness looks like chapter. And so take some time, maybe this week, to read over that. Say, wow, how can I treat others in this way? And then there's this third piece, right? Walking humbly with God. Let me tell you, it is very easy to have opinions, isn't it? It's very easy for us to look down maybe our nose at someone. We see it all the time on Facebook. Have you ever, like, read comments on Facebook? Whether it's, you know, over the the latest piece of news or politics or social issues or, or even faith. Man, everybody has an opinion, right? And we're all guilty of either writing or saying or thinking those things because really it comes down to a lack of humility, lack of understanding who we are. So he reminds us to stay, uh, to humble ourselves as we walk with him, to remember that we need his salvation just as much as anyone else. It's easy to think that you've got it all together, but you've been rescued It should be better. (laughs) But I could be in that situation. I could be there. I didn't deserve it. But it also means knowing that I don't have all the answers. That's tough, isn't it? Especially as a parent, right? You are supposed to know how to do everything. But humbling ourselves and saying, you know what? I don't know. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. Man, admit just, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to, to live in this way. I don't know how to go on. Humble yourselves. And he, again, it's him. It's, it's what he does. It's his action. He will exalt you. He's always good about setting the example for us. Mark 10.45 Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. See, he humbled himself. He didn't say, I deserve this, or I have this status. But he says, no, I'm going to serve you. It's amazing that not only did God come down to our level, but he came beneath us to serve us. Man, we can learn a lot from that, can't we? When you humble yourself, your life can impact many others. It says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He laid it down. Look at the impact that he has made because he humbled himself.
And I want you to keep this phrase in mind, whether you're fostering or adopting or not. It's not about me. That's pretty easy, right? It's not about me. And as you foster, I want to point out some things that maybe will help you as you just seek to humble yourself before the Lord and walk with him. The primary purpose is is reconciliation. And this is something that often we get wrong many times. And because the question is not, when are you going to adopt this child? Certainly, it feels like it should be because, because you know that situation and you know the home that they're in. And man, what a loving place that they're able to be in. But the question really is, how can we find permanency for this child in a healthy environment? How can we provide stability for this child in a way that is healthy for them as they grow? That's the goal. That is the win in foster care. The first plan, the primary plan, is for them to return to their own families. You know, the second thing is that every system is broken. Often, that's used as an excuse, right? Well, this system is just so broken, I'm not even going to get involved in that because, man, they're just messing everything up all over the place, right? Hey, (laughs) I agree. I agree. But it's our favorite excuse. (laughs) Because, listen, you are not always going to agree with a caseworker. You're not always going to agree with a judge or a parent. Or your spouse. But recognize this. We all contribute to the brokenness in the system. And then also, it will hurt. And it should. To be a good foster parent, you must become attached to the children in your care. Because this isn't just child care, right? This isn't just watching somebody else's kids. You're providing a home, just like you would, and and, and maybe you are for your very own. They are your kids when they're in your home. And when things go well, and when they return home, it'll hurt. But guess what? You're an adult, (laughs) right? You can handle it. You can process that loss. These kids, they can't go without a home. Can you imagine what their little brains must be trying to figure out? Why is this happening? Why am I going from this place to this place? What is going on? So, not only for foster care, but maybe you're entering or have entered adoption in that journey, whether it's internationally, domestically, or or through foster care, you should know and recognize that it's the beginning of the journey. Sometimes there's so much buildup to, like, the adoption day, right? It's a special day. 
And it's hard, and there's a lot of challenges that, that you face. And whether you're faced with financial situations, or filling out all the paperwork, or, or uh, dealing with difficult families, or judges, or, or uh, anything. There's so many different things. Here's the thing. It's the beginning of the journey. Celebrate it. But it's kind of like a wedding, right? There's all this preparation for that one day. Do we prepare for past that day? The journey is just beginning. As difficult as, it, as that preparation time was, you will have significant challenges ahead. And it's important as you're dealing with, okay, how do I walk humbly with God and with others? Communication is key. That requires humility. With your child, admitting when you're wrong, right? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm not going to do that. That's, that'd be silly. When you're wrong, tell them you're wrong. They're learning from you. With your spouse, work together. Grow your relationship. Listen, you're going to grow weary in doing well. But you need one another. With, with your extended family, share those, those expectations. Share what you've learned, how we do family. And I am so blessed to have a family that gets it. But also remember that this, this is their story. You know, talking to your child about their story is essential. Certainly there is age-appropriate information and conversation. But they should have a decent understanding of their story from the very beginning. That promotes a healthy environment. That uh, promotes openness and honesty. I mean, think about all those Lifetime movies, right? Where Where the child finds out at 18 that they were adopted when they were an infant, right? That is not healthy. That's why they make a movie about it, by the way. And in this age of of Facebook and internet and online, you're not going to keep any secrets. And you shouldn't. Your child has a story. And and it will take a lifetime for them to process that story. So don't try to short-circuit their healing or, or ignore their struggle. Invite them in to that story. And listen, if they discover that you aren't being honest with them about their story, it makes it a whole lot easier for them to walk away, to not trust you, because you have done that. (laughs) Right? You know, there are some things that I've told you before about our girl's story, but there are some things that I won't tell you especially as it relates to their challenges, because it's not my story. It, it's not your story. It's, it's their story. Finally, be humble, because you'll need help. Walk humbly with your God. I love that, that he walks with us. Every step of the way, he walks with us. And I love that personal nature of that because we can't do it without him. But we're also going to need the help of professionals, of therapists, of doctors, 
other resources that understand the challenges that you're facing. And one of the best that I have found is, is a book called The Connected Child. And, and if you like to just read, like you're one of those strange people who just like, I just need more information in my head. Read this book, The Connected Child by Karen Purvis. Her last name is spelled P-U-R-V-I-S, Purvis. You're going to need these people in your life. Good ones. Use discretion. Use wisdom. But you need them in your lives. You also need community. Others who have been there or are there. Those who can relate to your family's struggles. You know, you can get some odd looks from people who have never experienced what you are. But instead, know that you are not alone. That there's a place for you to safely share your challenges with others. And if you are involved in foster care or adoption and are longing for that community, I want you to do me a favor right now. Grab that communication card that's in your seat and just let me know that. Put that in the offering at the end end of the the service. Because we want to, to form a group like that in the next year. To be a place where you can come and share your struggles in a way that maybe somebody else can't understand. Maybe even some of your family can't understand. A place of safety. We've talked about a lot of things today. There's a lot to learn on this journey, but I am thankful for the simplicity of God's hope for our lives. It doesn't come easy, but he does give us a path to walk by faith. And you know, you'll need that reaffirmed in this journey. You'll need to hear him say, just like he did to Israel, I've told you this before, what is good, what the path forward is, but I will gladly tell you again, that's the heart of God. It says, focus your heart on doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with your God. And really, just like we want to do for our kids, God is wanting to move us from fear, from the uncertainty of what lies ahead, to faith, to trust, and trusting him one step at a time. You know, uh, Patty was at the YMCA for a gymnastics, a gymnastics class for the girls a couple of years ago. And, you know, the parents kind of sit out and watch, and, and uh, they're all having a good time, and just having conversation, and, and birthdays came up. And the girl's birthday was right around the same time as another set of twins in the group. And suddenly the mom said, wait, is that? And she gave their names. They were in the ICU when my sons were born. I remember them. I would read to them. I spent time with them. I would talk to them, and I've often thought, I wonder where they are now. I wonder what's happened in their lives. That was God's gentle reminder to us that they were never alone that we can trust him with our girl's future because he's been taking care of them long before we ever could and long after we ever will. And in the middle of your challenge, remember that you are not alone. Walk with your God. Would you pray with me? You know, I'm 
not sure today how God may be speaking to you. But my question is this. Are you listening? And what are you going to do about it? You know, maybe you haven't really been standing up for justice in your life. Maybe you've talked about it, complained about it, but you haven't actively found solutions or ways to jump in. Please don't limit that to foster care or adoption. There are so many ways that you can be the hands and feet of Christ. Don't just talk. Do. Maybe your heart of compassion has been impacted. Would you make a decision to take those steps to act on what you hear from God's heart? And as foster parents, you might be at the end of your rope. It's not easy. Would you ask the Lord to show you his kindness, to remember his mercy toward us, and ask God to help you to love kindness? You know, maybe it's just an attitude adjustment, a perspective change to humble yourself, to serve him and to serve others. Or maybe today you've always seen God as demanding, as overbearing, as that rule maker just ready to snap. But today you see him as the one who stands up to bring salvation to you. He has made a way through Christ to bring justice, to rid us of our sin, to make us right with him. He can be trusted. So why don't you say in your heart, God, I know I'm a sinner that I deserve judgment, but you are showing me such great mercy. I trust that what Jesus did on the cross removes that so that I can have a relationship and an eternity with you. Hmm. He is so good. Father, We are dependent on you. Lord, I thank you for showing us your example. You didn't just tell us to do. You showed us how to do it. Thank you for showing us the way forward as we do justice, as we love kindness, and as we walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name.